Hello and welcome to the podcast for the February 2009 issue of The Lancet Neurology. Richard Lane here with Helen Frankish to discuss two main items in the February issue. Helen, let's start with a trial that received a lot of media attention when it was published just over a week ago now. This is a randomized parallel discontinuation trial concerning antipsychotic use among people with Alzheimer's disease. Before we go into the study methodology, what is the debate or what's the issue here? So many people with Alzheimer's disease, as well as having problems with memory and cognition, also have behavioural and psychological symptoms, such as agitation, aggression or psychotic behaviour. And these symptoms can be distressing for carers or harmful both to themselves and to others. And the symptoms are thought to be one of the reasons that people with Alzheimer's disease are placed into nursing homes. And to treat these symptoms, antipsychotic drugs are often prescribed based on evidence from randomised controlled trials which showed that short-term treatment with antipsychotic drugs, i.e. from 6 to 12 weeks, led to a modest improvement in aggressive behaviour. But there's very little evidence that longer-term therapy is beneficial. And these drugs also have nasty side effects, including Parkinsonism, sedation and further cognitive decline. And both the North American and European regulatory agencies have issued warnings about the use of these drugs in dementia patients. But despite that, in clinical practice, about 30 to 60% of patients who live in nursing homes in the US and Europe are prescribed antipsychotics, often for long periods of time. That's interesting, and, and presumably this is quite a difficult area to assess in a randomised trial. But perhaps just go on and tell us a bit about the methodology here because it is a UK-based study and yes, it does use elderly people in residential care homes, doesn't it? That's right. And as you say, it's a randomised withdrawal trial by Clive Ballard and colleagues. And they randomised 165 patients who were living in nursing homes and were being treated with antipsychotic drugs such as risperidone, haloperidol and chlorpromazine. And patients were randomised to either continuation of these antipsychotic drugs or to switch to a placebo drug. And the primary outcome of the study was mortality at 12 months, although they did follow up some patients for about four years. And the results, I think we know the results because (laughs) the media headlines have been screaming the results. They were here in the UK about 10 days ago. Just want to discuss that, Helen. I'm also interested in your interpretation of the results comparing the group in which the antipsychotic drugs were discontinued with the placebo group. Right, so they found that survival, as you say, was reduced in those patients who carried on taking the antipsychotics compared with those who Um, switched to placebo. And at the end of 12 months, which was the primary outcome, the cumulative probability of survival in patients who carried on taking the antipsychotics was 77% versus 70% in the placebo group. So the difference actually between the two treatment groups is relatively small. But during the extended follow-up, the difference in mortality between the two groups was much more pronounced. So by two years, the survival in the group that took antipsychotics was 46% versus 71% in placebo and by three years it was 30% versus 59% for placebo. That is interesting so clearly the benefit of discontinuation continues over the, over a time continuum. Exactly. Yeah in your view 
and I know you comment about this in the Leading Edge editorial this month. What does this mean, do you think, for the future of the prescription of antipsychotic drugs for elderly people with Alzheimer's disease? Well, behavioural and psychological symptoms of dementia can be really distressing for both the patients and also for the carers. And in some cases, these drugs may be the only option if the patient's behaviour is potentially harmful. So there is a place for these drugs in the treatment of patients with dementia. However, the risks and benefits of these drugs need to be carefully weighed up and there's an urgent need to put an end to the practice of unnecessary and prolonged prescription of these drugs. And as we point out in our linked editorial, if antipsychotics must be used in these patients, they must be prescribed at low doses over short periods of time. They should be maintained only if the patient is benefiting from the drugs and discontinuation of the drugs should be regularly attempted. Thanks very much, Helen. Let's move on and discuss another research article. This is looking at ischemic stroke. Specifically, this is looking at the drug desmotoplase for the treatment of ischemic stroke. Before we go on and talk about this study, can you just tell us about desmotoplase? It sounds a bit like alteplase. Is it, is it a similar type of drug? Well, like alteplase, desmotoplase activates plasminogen and helps to break down blood clots. It's actually a synthetic version of a protein that occurs naturally in the saliva of the Mexican vampire bat, which uses it to stop the blood from clotting while it feeds. Now we know. Thank you for that. And Helen, as with all treatment trials for stroke, the crucial thing is timing, particularly the opportunity, the window of opportunity to treat after stroke and here we're looking at three to nine hours is that right? That's right and as we've discussed before Richard alteplase is only licensed for use up to three hours after a stroke although a recent study also from the lead author of this study has shown that alteplase is effective up to four and a half hours after a stroke however if you can target those patients who are thought to be most likely to benefit from treatment it might be possible to extend the time window for treatment and patients who are most likely to benefit are those who have evidence on imaging of a so-called ischemic penumbra, which is tissue surrounding the core of the infarct that shows reduced perfusion and is at risk of infarction, but is not yet dead and so has the potential to be salvaged. So in this study by Werner Hacker and the DS2 investigators, nearly 200 patients were randomised to receive one of two doses of desmotoplase or placebo if they had evidence of the ischemic penumbra on MRI or CT imaging. And the primary endpoint was a clinical response rate at day 90, which was defined as a composite of scores on three scales that are used to measure the functional outcome of stroke. Thanks, Helen. But as I look at the results, correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks unfortunately as though the results are negative for desmotoplase. In fact, it seems as though patients had a better outcome if they're in the placebo group. As you say, unfortunately, the results are negative. There was no difference in functional outcome between the two groups at 90 days, the primary endpoint. So the clinical response rate was 46% for placebo, 47% for the lower dose of desmotoplase, and 36% for the higher dose of desmotoplase. And there were also more deaths in patients who received the higher dose of desmotoplase, which was unexpected. So mortality was 6% with placebo 
placebo 5% with the lower dose of desmoteplase and 21% for the higher dose group. All but three of the deaths in the higher dose group were judged to be unrelated to the study drug. Okay, so a little bit of ambiguity about the finer details there. Let it not be said that we never publish or discuss negative outcome yeah. trials. I mean, it's, this is obviously clearly an important negative outcome trial, but what's what's next for desmoteplase? Well, before I answer that, Richard, I just wanted to mention something about the high response rate in the placebo group. So researchers suggest that this might be due to patients in this study having less severe strokes than in previous studies of desmoteplase, as the less severe a stroke is, the more likely a patient is to have a better spontaneous outcome. And also, only about a third of patients actually had a vascular occlusion, which again is much lower than in previous studies. And this could explain why the study failed to show a positive result. So it may not be as negative as the negative outcome seems, but presumably more research. We always say that, don't we, with outcome trials, more research is needed with, with this drug. That's right, and it's certainly not the end for desmoteplase, and the, the DS3 study has recently started recruiting patients, and importantly, in the DS3 study, vascular status will be an inclusion criteria in the trial, so patients must have an occluded vessel to be eligible to enter the trial. Okay, let's not write it off totally, let's wait for DS3 with uh, anticipation. Thanks, Helen. We've rattled on for quite a while, haven't we? Why don't we just quickly, why don't you just quickly just give us some other highlights in this February issue? Okay, we've got some really interesting reviews in this issue on detection and interpretation of cerebral microbleeds in the brain on the effects of ascent to high altitude on the brain. We also have a review on neurobeschet's disease and finally a review on matrix metalloproteinases and their roles in neurodegenerative diseases. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you all very much for listening. Those were two in-depth highlights, let's put it that way, from the uh, February issue 2009, that is, of The Lancet Neurology. Many thanks to Helen. Thanks for listening. See you next month.